Well, good morning. Uh, can't say it's good to be with you. Unfortunately, uh, circumstances haven't allowed us to be together. Uh, but we did want to just, as Pastor Dennis mentioned, provide an opportunity to, uh, to just be with you virtually uh, in your family worship. And uh, providentially, I think we came to uh, a pretty uh, applicable part of First Peter that we're gonna that we're gonna discuss this morning uh, in light of everything that's going on. Um, last week, uh, when we when we were able to gather together as an assembly, uh, I asked you the question: uh, What demands your time and attention on a daily basis? And you remember it was over two thousand times. Uh, average that we are touching our phones per day. Uh, our phones scream out for attention. Uh, so many things in life scream out for attention and priority. Uh, there's so many cares and concerns in this world uh, that demand our attention, our dedication. Uh, I mean, we think of the, the present situation with the, the coronavirus pandemic and, and how that has really grasped our attention. And I think, though, that one of the things that we tend to forget uh, when we have all of these things grabbing our attention, even in the midst of a, of a kind of a worldwide crisis like we're going through now, is we tend to forget the overall purpose and mission that God may have behind all these things. Uh, for instance, Romans 13, verse 11 and 12 says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The day of our salvation, the day of Jesus's return is, is much more nearer now, Paul says, than it was before. Are we living like it? And we saw last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, that living for Christ involves a certain mindset, a mindset that as God's people, we're going to suffer. And we talked together last week that we have to be resolved to follow Christ if we're going to persevere in faith uh, and mission for him. And in verses 7 to 11, this next section of 1 Peter, uh, Peter moves from calling his, his audience, from calling us to being mentally prepared to follow Jesus, to, to not only that, but also he is encouraging us to actively be engaged in the mission of God. How are we involved in God's mission? God works through his people, and as his people, we are the church. And there's three ways that God calls us to be on mission for him. Even in times like this, where we're not able to be together, but we're the church scattered throughout our communities and neighborhoods. The first thing that he talks about is what we're going to discuss this morning in verse 7, is prayer. Focused prayer. Then he talks about our need for love. And then he talks about our using of our spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about those things um, uh, over the next couple weeks. 
But we're going we're gonna to see from verses 7 to 11 that difficulty, suffering, even the, the coronavirus, it doesn't pose a threat to the mission that we can have for God. Rather, these types of diverse, diverse afflictions and, and difficult circumstances they open the door, they further open the door for us to minister, to assist one another in carrying out the mission that God has given us where we live to spread his glory through the gospel. So we are going to see this morning, once again, the whole theme of our series in 1 Peter has been that we are called to faithful perseverance and love in light of our identity as the people of God. And as you're sitting together as a family, uh, I just would like us to once again to pray together, and then we're just going to look uh, for a brief period of time uh, at verse 7 in our need for focused prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that, Lord, as we have uh, each family that is able to uh, to be uh, online with us, Lord, as we look into your word, as, as we've, having a, ha, we've had a time with our families to worship you, to sing to you, to, to read scripture and pray, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, work through your word. Uh, though we are uh, distanced from one another, Lord, it is the same Holy Spirit that's working in our hearts, and we pray that you would uh, show us the truths of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 7, once again, it shows us the need for focused prayer. And Peter does this in verse 7. He, he begins in verse 7 by saying, the end of all things is at hand. What he's doing here is he's giving us a crucial reminder. He's giving his readers back in the first century a crucial reminder that they are living in the last days. The end of all things is at hand. Now, it's easy to start to think when we're going through uh, pandemics like the coronavirus, well, the end of the world has to be soon. Look at all we're going through. And we're not saying, and I'm not saying this morning, the end of all things is at hand because look at what's going on in our world. No, as we're going to see in just a bit, the Bible says that we're living in the last days, not because circumstances indicate to us that we're living in the last days, but we've been living in the last days for the past 2,000 years. Ever since Jesus came, he fulfilled scripture that he was the Messiah that was promised. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again, and he's seated at the right hand with God the Father. At any season, Jesus could come. We're living in the last days. Everything has been fulfilled that the scriptures point to until we get to Christ's return. So we know we're living in the last days and that the end is near, not because the newspaper tells us that, that or the cable TV tells us that. We know we're living in the last days because the Bible says we have been ever since the start of the church. In fact, Jesus says in Revelation 22, Behold, I'm coming quickly. It may not be quickly in our, our timetables, but he's coming quickly. So Peter gives us a reminder that the end of all things is at hand. 
It's near. In fact, this phrase has its roots in the Old Testament, the, the nearness or the at-handness of God's activity. In Joel chapter 1, verse 15, uh, uh, Joel says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. We read this in Joel 2, verse 1, and 3, verse 14, and Isaiah 13, 6, Obadiah 15, Zephaniah 1, 7. The day of the Lord, the prophet said, was near. Now, in that phrase, the day of the Lord is near, it was, it was, a, it was a warning to the people, both Israelites and other nations, that God's judgment was coming. And the people, because God's judgment work was coming, were to prepare and were to repent of going against God in light of that coming day. But there's another aspect to the nearness or the at-handness of the day of the Lord. For God's people, it was a time of blessing. That judgment would give way to blessing. We read this in Ezekiel 39, verse 25 to 29, where it says that after God sends judgment, he's going to restore his people. He's going to pour out his spirit. Uh, we read about this in Isaiah 2.2 and Micah 4.1, that th this message of the nearness of, of God's day coming was to bring hope to God's people, for his judgment would give way to blessing. So as we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus has now brought about the last days. In fact, John the Baptist, in Matthew 3, 2, he tells the people, he says, Repent for the kingdom of heaven, just like we have in verse 7 of, of, of Peter, is at hand. It's near. And then we, we realize that, that now, since Jesus has come, since he's back in heaven with God the Father, we're living in these last days. And in light of that, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. We're to therefore live with a sense of urgency that we realize that judgment and redemption are coming. That word, the end of all things, has the idea, the completion of redemptive history of everything that that the Bible points to is about to be completed upon Christ's return. That's the great hope we have. But it's also a warning that we are not to be entangled in the sinfulness, in the, in the complacency that characterizes this world. We're to be encouraged to live focused on the Lord's coming. Chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 9 says, when Jesus comes, that our salvation will be made complete. The day of the Lord is near. How are you living in light of that reality? So, because of this emphasis that, that Peter gives us, we see that he gives us this crucial reminder. Remember what time period you're living in. You're living in the last days. As, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the end of the ages has come. And therefore, how are we living? But he shows us what our mindset also is to be in light of the days we're living in. He gives us a focused mindset. He says in verse 7, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. 
Those are two descriptions of what the Christian's mindset is to be as we are on mission for God and we're awaiting the return of Jesus. We're to be self-controlled. In other words, that has the idea that we are both to think and act in ways that are appropriate with the age in which we live. Is your mindset geared to be remembering that Christ is returning? We don't know when, and we, we have no set timetable. The coronavirus is here, but that is no indicator that, that, that Christ is appearing uh, tomorrow. Throughout church history, there have been uh, different things that have gone on in this world, and Christ still has seemingly, in our eyes, delayed his coming. Christ could not come for maybe another 2,000 years. We do not know that, but we know that in God's eyes, the, the end is approaching, that Jesus is coming soon, and we are living in these last days. But not only are we to be self-controlled, have a mindset of self-control, that, that we're living in light of the times, but secondly, we're to be sober-minded. Peter's already talked about being sober-minded. In chapter 1 and verse 13, he said, he said, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. In chapter 5 and verse 8, he's going to tell us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. So he tells us here that we are to be sober-minded. What does that mean? In other words, it means that we are to be clear-minded and alert. In other words, we're not to allow ourselves to, to be in sort of a drunken stupor where we forget who we are in Christ. We forget that God has given us a mission to be spreading the gospel, to be shining the light in a dark world. We forget all of those things and we become intoxicated. Our minds become muddy and clouded with the pleasures, the short-term satisfaction that this world offers. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6 and 8, uh, Paul says to us, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake, and here's that word, and be sober. Goes on in verse 8, says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Is your mindset this morning one that has become distracted with all of these other things? Distracted with the, the dangers, the risks of this coronavirus. Distracted with the pleasures of this world. Distracted with your financial standing, distracted with your, your seeking of, of, of material gain or, or earthly pleasure. And your mind has become clouded from that which is to be most important to us as Christians. But then Peter takes us to the whole purpose for what he says in verse 7. Yes, he gives us a crucial reminder, the end of all things is at hand. 
He gives us a mindset that we're to be controlled by. We're to be self-controlled and sober-minded. But what's the purpose for all of this? The end of verse 7 answers, for the sake of your prayers. You see, we see in verse 7 here the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. The reason for self-control and sober-mindedness is for, in other words, our prayer life, both as individuals and as a church. Isn't that interesting? I agree with, with what one uh, commentator, Karen Job, says. This is an interesting association, since one might expect clear-mindedness to be necessary for preparing a sound defense against one's critics or for making wise decisions as threatening circumstances present themselves. However, Peter's first concern is prayer. Wow. There's so many things that we would put above prayer that we need to be sober-minded and alert about. It's easy to say, well, I'm going to be sober-minded and I'm going to be alert so that I can share my faith. I'm going to be sober-minded, I'm going to be alert so that I can present myself in a certain way. I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to be alert so that I can meet other people's needs. But Peter says it starts with on a more foundational level than any of those things. Are we a people of prayer? Because we will not be in prayer unless we are sober and alert. For instance, let me ask you one application question here. This past week, how would the ratio stack up between your keeping track watching the news with what's going on around the world with this coronavirus and thinking, okay, how do we prepare? How do I keep my family safe? How do I, how do, I do this and that? Versus going to the Lord about these things in prayer. What would that ratio look like? I know in my life it wouldn't look that great. You see, we oftentimes skip right over prayer and we go to the do's and that leaves us vulnerable, as we'll see in chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9, to the attacks of Satan. It leaves us without the spirit of dependence upon the Lord that we need because in the flesh we can do nothing for God that's of lasting value. In fact, I can't help but think that Peter, in, in, when he tells these first century Christians, and by extension he tells us, that we are to be sober-minded and, and self-controlled for the sake of our prayers, I can't help but think that his mind goes back to when Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray alone, and he tells Peter, James, and John, in Mark 14, 38, he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, what a perfect example in Peter's own life where he overlooked prayer. And what happened? In the strength of his flesh, he denied Christ three times. If we are living sober-mindedly, if we are living uh, in, in a mindset of self-control, it is going to drive us to prayer 
because we will realize as God's people, we can do nothing in the energy of self. Peter's mentioned the need for prayer in chapter 3, verse 7. He talked about husbands uh, living with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers not, may not be hindered. In chapter 3, verse 12, it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. God is attentive to the prayers of his people. Again, what one commentator, one theologian, Tom Schreiner writes, he says their sensible and alert thinking is to be used for prayer, for entreating God to act and move in the time that still remains. The realization that God is bringing history to a close should provoke believers to depend on him. And this dependence is manifested in prayer. For in prayer, believers recognize that any good that occurs in this world is due to God's grace. So whoever you are and wherever you are, it doesn't matter how much you think I'm living faithfully to the Lord. It doesn't matter how much you think I'm living on mission for God. If prayer is not a part of your life, if it's not a part of my life, then we truly are not living in the way that God intends. We are not living truly missionally or truly in dependence on the Lord or truly seeking to live in perseverance in the midst of difficulty. Prayer has to provide the foundation. And what does God desire to accomplish through the prayers of his people? I think really there's two things. That first of all, God desires to draw our hearts towards himself. In prayer, we are coming, realizing our inadequacy, but Christ's sufficiency. Apart from prayer, we cannot truly grasp just how needful we are. God desires us to come to him in a spirit of dependence, realizing we cannot carry out his mission without the power of prayer, without God's work through prayer. Have you been a person of prayer in the past week, in the past month? But secondly, God also desires to draw others' hearts to himself. And guess who God uses to draw others to himself? It's ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit that draws others to himself, but God uses his people. He uses you and he uses me. Doesn't matter your age doesn't matter where you're located. He uses his people. And God desires us to be in prayer that God would use us, that he would empower us to be able to spread his message of hope, of assurance, of, of security to others. But unless we are looking to God to use us as we pray to him, then we are, if we're not doing that, we're shortcutting the very avenue that God has sovereignly chosen to work. God works through prayer. He transforms our hearts through prayer and he provides opportunity and he strengthens us to go out into the world as we are prayerfully dependent on him as we seek to carry out the mission God's given us. So as we close today, we just realize once again that we are called to faithful perseverance and mission in light of our identity 
that we are a people of God together. And while we're the church scattered right now, we're not able to gather together, God has given each of us a unique opportunity to minister in his name where we're at. Whether it's to a neighbor, obviously to our family, to the individuals within this church body, God has given us so many opportunities if we just look for them to be on mission for him. But let's not forget that all of this starts with prayer. We're to be sober-minded. We're to be self-controlled. We're to be alert to the need for prayer. It is through prayer that God works. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would help us as your people. Lord, I pray that Covington Baptist Church, as we are uh, individuals, yet we are individuals that com comprise one local body. I pray that we would be a people of prayer. God, I pray that in the midst of this pandemic, that we would be in prayer. Lord, that we would be in prayer for our national and state and local officials, that, that, that you would grant them wisdom. Lord, I pray, we, I pray that we would be a people of prayer. Uh, for uh, those that are around us that are in need of the hope of the gospel during this time, that, that we would be willing vessels to be used to share the hope that lies within us. Lord, I pray that we'd be a people of prayer for one another in our church assembly, as, Lord, we're all in uh, unique circumstances, uh, whether that be uh, financially or or with our jobs, or uh, with, our, uh, with our health situations. Lord, I pray we'd be in prayer for one another. And God, I pray that we would be in prayer for ourselves, that during this time, you would take the shackles of self-dependence off, and you would help us to look to you. Look to you to be our strength. Look to you to be our guide, our hope. And Lord, we look forward to when we can once again gather together and worship you and encourage one another, edify one another. In Jesus' name, amen.